If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Joshua chapter 4. I'm going to begin in the first verse there, Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. If you find your way there, stand with me, if you will, out of uh, respect and reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Joshua 4, verse 1, And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, <clears throat> "Excuse me, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and commanded them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, I thank you that you are a faithful God. That you promise over and over in your holy word never to leave us nor forsake us. Father, even when we find ourselves in the desert, as the Israelites did, Father, you're still with us, providing for our needs and being faithful. Father, forgive us for doubting your faithfulness, Father, but also for not being as faithful many times as we can be or should be. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. And Father, because of that grace you gave us through Jesus Christ, Father, we have this relationship with you. And Father, I pray right now for each and every one of us, beginning with the pastor, Father, that we'd grow every single day to a closer walk and closer intimacy with you. Father, we thank you now for this time together. I thank you for each person in this room. Father, speak to our hearts. Lord, I know you have a message with our name on it today. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Joshua said to his people, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do a special work among you. David, I'm sorry, Joshua was calling the nation of Israel to consecrate themselves. What does that mean? It means to dedicate themselves yet again to God Almighty. You know, we can get very, very busy sometimes and kind of get off course sometimes, or maybe we get so busy right now that God kind of slips over to the edge or maybe to the back seat. Joshua, I don't know why David can't remember, Joshua called the nation to consecrate themselves because God was getting ready to do something very special. Every time we hear the word consecrate, sanctified or repent in the Old Testament, God is getting ready to do something. Guess what? God wants to do something today in our life as well. God is calling you and I to consecrate ourselves, to sanctify ourselves, to repent from the ways we've been going, from the ways of the world, and draw close to Him, dedicate ourselves yet again to Him. You know what's, he, what's Joshua talking about here? He's telling us that God is getting ready to part the Jordan Rivers. He's getting ready to give the nation of Israel a breakthrough. This is an amazing breakthrough for the nation of Israel. Think about it. They had an opportunity for it 40 years before this, for that very same breakthrough, and they missed it. They missed it. Why? Because 
they did not trust God for his faithfulness. They didn't trust God, that God had a plan for them. They didn't trust God in the fact that God told Moses before they ever entered into the promised land that I've already given you the victory. This is your land I've promised you since the days of Abraham. This is your land. God says, I'm giving you this land. I'm giving you these things. And yet they did not trust God. They'd forgotten the great things and the great ways that God had blessed them in the past. They did not understand and remember God's faithfulness. You know, back in Deuteronomy 6, Moses also told the nation of Israel, don't forget me. He says this, beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Over and over in the book of Deuteronomy, God tells the nation of Israel, don't forget me, don't forget me, lest you forget. Do not forget the Lord your God. Pay attention to the Lord your God. Love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Do not forget me. Yet what happens, because we're human sometimes, we forget. We forget things. You know, one of the standard jokes out there in the world today is ask a man when his anniversary date is. You know, all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, hold on, I, I can get it. It's especially embarrassing if your wife is standing right there. Most of us finally get it. But we have a hard time remembering things. God was telling the nation of Israel, do not forget me. I want you to remember this day. So God gave Joshua instructions when you cross over the River Jordan. I want you to build a memorial. I want you to gather stones out of the middle of this river. He told that nation, and he told Joshua, get one man from each tribe, 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, and get a big stone and carry it over here, and we're going to build a monument where we camped that night, and that was a place called Gilgal. So they established that memorial. Why did they establish that memorial? That all the world would know that God parted the waters there, but also that Israel would not forget God. Moses and Joshua told the nation of Israel repeatedly that if you forget God, you're going to gravitate to other things. You're going to make things in this world gods in your life. You're going to put idols in your life. They did that. Think about the nation of Israel. Entered into the land of Canaan, and all of a sudden they're uh, worshiping the God of the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hizzites and probably the God of the Termites as well. God knows our ways. He knows our nature. He made us. We're made in His image. So we have willpower, but we also have a choice. God has given us a choice in this life, a choice to choose life or to choose death. Joshua said, be careful. Do not forget God. You know, God was getting ready to give Israel a mega breakthrough, a mega miracle. He was getting ready to show the, the Israelites something in the Jordan River they'd never forget. You know, I imagine you're sitting here today, and if you thought about it for a second, you can remember a time in your life when God showed up. And you'll never forget that when God showed up in my life. I was desperate for God. I was in great need and nobody seemed to be giving me good answers or I wasn't sure which way to go, but God showed up. God gave me a breakthrough. God let me see things I'd never seen before. God showed me something in, in, in my life that I'd never realized before. God showed up and healed me. God showed up and delivered me. We've all seen these things in our life as we walk with Christ. I'll be honest with you, there was a time in my life, even as a Christian, I didn't give God the credit. I obviously didn't write them down. I didn't mark the memorials either. A lot of times I'd say, man, what a coincidence that is. Look at that, how that happened just like that. How this is amazing. Amazing how that happened. And look, look at the timing that that just happened. In. How'd that happen? You know, today what I say, I'm sure the same thing you say. Look at what God did. Look what God just did. Look at the breakthrough that God just gave me. 
You know, God was ready to give them this great breakthrough this day. He was ready 40 years before that to give the same breakthrough. He said, hey, let's go. Let's go. Remember what he did? He sent those 12 spies into the land of Canaan. This is 40 years prior to what we're talking about today. He sent them in there and said, hey, go spy out the land. Kind of want to get a feel for what's going on there so when we enter in, we'll know what we've got to deal with. Those 12 spies went over there, had a great experience, saw that it was a land of milk and honey. The 12 spies came back. Two of those spies, Joshua and, and Caleb, brought back grapes. Ten of those spies came back and brought, brought back nothing but grapes. Man, you're not going to believe how big these fortified positions are. You're not going to believe how big these giants are. We're like grasshoppers, griping, griping, griping. You know what? Isn't that amazing? Those, saw, those same 12 people had seen God move in miraculous ways, had seen God's breakthroughs. They'd seen God part the Red Sea. Are you kidding me? Can you understand God's breakthrough at that time in their life? They realized it. They saw God provide their food, saw God provide their water out of rocks in the desert for 40 years. They saw God in very personal, real, tangible ways. Yet they'd forgotten God's faithfulness. God was faithful back then to part the Red Seas. Why wouldn't he part Jordan for us and give us the victory he's already promised us? He's already given these things. There was a faithfulness problem, and so Israel, listen very carefully, missed the blessing. For 40 years, they sat and ran in circles and walked in circles around that desert. For 40 years, they could have been living in the promised land, and yet, no, because of a lack of faithfulness, they missed out on God's blessings. You know, we can obviously see some parallels maybe in our lives. You know, I've missed God's blessings. Why? Because I wasn't living in God's faithfulness. I wasn't thinking about God's faithfulness. I had not marked down God's faithfulness. There's some here today, possibly, this very day, this very moment that something's on your mind that I need a breakthrough in my life. I need a breakthrough in my life. Why didn't the Israelites move forward 40 years before? They were still holding on to Egypt. They were still holding on to the past. They weren't holding on to God, living in faithfulness with God. They were holding on to the past. But Pastor, you don't understand. My past was horrible. I know it is. I know it was, and I'm sorry about that. And I, I give you full credit for some people have weathered and made it through, carried through their life with the help of God through incredibly bad and sad and hard times. And yet we minimize the size of God. Do you think God can get us through that? Yeah. God wants us to let go of that. Why? Because he wants us to enter into the promised land. He wants us to realize the times that God showed up in our life and given us great and mighty victories and move forward. Not let our past define who we are. Not live by our circumstances, but live by our relationship in heaven. God has this incredible, incredible experience for you and I to have. And yet many times we're waiting for that breakthrough, but we miss it because we're holding on to Egypt. We're holding on to the past. We're holding on to things we no longer need to hold on to. Because why? Because Jesus Christ gave us the freedom to drop those things. He wants to take those chains and break them, just like that beautiful song we heard a minute ago. I love Joshua's testimony, too, about how God came down and gave him a breakthrough. Forty years they wandered in that desert. But now they're ready for that breakthrough. I want you to know, though, even in the desert, and many of us have been there before, I have been, God is still faithful. This is what God says to the Israelites when they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, but they've been there for 40 years. He said this in Deuteronomy 8. He says, You should remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years. Led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. 
When we find ourselves in the desert or the wilderness, we need to ask two questions. God, what do you want me to learn while I'm in the desert? And God, what do you want me to change in the desert right now? Don't waste your time in the desert. God, listen very carefully. God does some of his finest work in the desert. Okay? It goes on in Deuteronomy 8. It says, Let's I fed you. I fed you manna. Then he said, Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell in those 40 years. You know what God's saying there? I took care of you. I provided your clothes. I provided your shoes. Your shoes didn't wear out. I provided everything you need. God was faithful even when Israel was not. When they turned their back on God and said, We're not going to do what you told us to do, God. For 40 years they walked around the desert. For 40 years they were in the wilderness. But God provided for them. God was faithful. God's faithful to you and I even when we're not close to Him. God desires to show Himself strong in yours and my life. Chapter 3, verse 17, it says this. It says, Then the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ stood on dry ground. They crossed over when God parted that Jordan River on dry ground. That's not natural. That's supernatural. It's supernatural to part the waters, but think about God's attention to detail. You know, if you part the waters, that riverbed's not going to be dry. It's going to be mucky and full of sand and dirt and messy. God gave him dry land to walk He wants us not to miss that because he tells us two times that scripture. Don't miss this. They walked across on dry land. He also wants us to realize that God was up to something special. They'd finally gotten ready. They'd finally got their hearts ready for God to show up in a powerful way. They get across the river and it says in Joshua 4.1, he says, guys, come here for a second. My leaders, come over here a minute. I want you to go back out there. I want you to go back out and pick up 12 stones. Joshua just walked across. Really? You got to go back out there? You know, how long is God going to keep the water from flowing down? Is that dry land going to stay dry or is it going to become mucky again? You know, all kinds of things in mind. Joshua said, listen, it's that important. I'm sending you 12 men back out there to pick up stones because I don't want to ever forget what God did this day. So they went. They got those 12 stones. Joshua went with them. And you remember what Joshua did? Joshua actually built a memorial in the middle of the river. Big pile of stones hanging out the river once the river came back. See these stones out in the middle of Jordan River. We crossed over. Joshua understood his people. God understands his people. Joshua was telling them, listen, I don't want you to forget. God doesn't want you to forget. Don't forget God. You know, they put that memorial there that people would realize that our God is real. Look what God did today. When people ask, tell them what God did. Really? Your God did that? God wants you and I to know that he's real. God wants you and I to understand that he's a real living God. He desired to show himself faithful in your life. He wants to have an opportunity to go intimate with you. He wants to show himself strong in your life. He wants you to represent him to the world. God also wants you to understand that, hey, I got this incredible plan for you. Don't miss this plan I have for you. Don't miss what I want you to do. Don't miss your purpose that I had for you. Don't miss the reason that I set you apart before you were born in your mother's womb. I want you to understand that I have this incredible life for you. So they built this memorial that they would not forget God. You know, there's people out there that think God's real, but they don't really know that he's real. Why? Because they haven't experienced it. I know it in my head. I have the knowledge here, and I believe, if you ask me, I believe he's God. Do you know I haven't really had a personal experience to, 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 to verify in my life that I really, really know from experience. I think many of you have. I have. I realize God's real. Why? Because he's shown up. I've seen him show up. I've had situations in my life when 
I'm praying for a breakthrough, and guess what happens? God breaks through. I've had a situation in my life when I realized, you know, I don't need to worry about this. Why? Because God was there the last time this happened. Why wouldn't he be here today? God wants to show himself faithful. Unfortunately, sometimes people believe God's real because somebody else told them he's real. Remember old Thomas? You know, we call him Doubting Thomas, but I don't think he deserves that kind of, kind of uh, sanction on his life or sign of uh, smear on his life, Doubting Thomas. He wanted to see Jesus Christ personally. You know why? I don't want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ based on what somebody else said. I want to have my own relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen very carefully. Somebody else may tell you about Jesus Christ, but it takes you to come forward. It takes you to make that decision in your life. I want to have a personal experience with Jesus Christ. I want to walk in such a way as I see him for real in my life. Some of you may not have had that experience. I'm here to tell you you can do that. It's a matter of spending time with him. It's a matter of talking to him all day. The Bible says pray without ceasing. It's a matter of walking in such a way as you realize, my God, it's real. How do I know that? Because I just talked to him this morning. He talked back. He told me. Convicted me in my Holy Scripture. I was reading my, my book today in the book of Philippians, and God spoke to me out of those words on this page. Jumped off this page and said, this has got your name on it, Gary. I understand God is real because I've had a personal experience with him. God wanted to make sure the Israelites did not forget him. He did not want the Israelites to forget the breakthrough he gave them there either. This is very special. When God gives you a breakthrough, write it down. Build a little memorial of stones of remembrance. Shout it from the rooftops. Let the world know that God just showed up. Look what God did. You know what's going to help? It's going to help them realize that there's a real God in heaven. It's going to help your family affirm the fact there's a real God in heaven. But it's also going to help you remember it. Because next time this happens in my life, I'm not going to worry about it because I can remember back five years ago what God did in my life. He got me through the hardest time of my life. And God did something spectacular. Call them in and I'll answer you and show you great my things. That's what our God's all about. God wants to show us that he's real. That miracle that day when God parted the waters at the Jordan River had a purpose far bigger than just getting the Israelites across the water. You know what that was? That they'd know there's a great God in heaven that performed miracles but also wanted to bless them. Wanted to show himself strong. Wanted to give them something to talk about. Wanted to give them something to glorify him about. You know, you're not going to believe this, but that's what God did last week at the Jordan River. What? No way. It's flood season, really? I understand that water is 150 feet deep and a mile wide. He parted those waters for you, really? Yeah, guess what? We walked across on dry land. There's no way. That's impossible. You're right, except for God. All things are possible with God. Question for you tonight, when was the last time you had one of those God moments? When was the last time you saw a breakthrough in your life? Did you write it down? You know, many times we get in a position sometimes we're wondering where God's at. I've heard that asked a little bit about our nation. Now, where's God at? Listen very carefully. God has always been there. He's always been there. We've just failed to write it down or record it sometimes. Many times, maybe. But God has always been there. Even in the wandering, even in the wilderness, in the wanderings. Maybe asking yourself this morning, where would I be without God? You know what God has done in your life. You know, if you've studied or understand the American judicial system, many times in the criminal proceedings, the criminal courts, the judge will have a 
audience with the defendant before the trial. And the defendant wants to get released and be walking on the streets until his trial. And so the judge has to determine whether or not to set bail. judge can say there's no bail. You stay in jail until the court date. He can say, hey, not necessarily bail. You're free to go. Released on your own recognizance, they call it. Or he may say, well, let's, let's talk about bail for a second. One of the things they use to determine the bail on defendants like that is a lot of times do they have a rap sheet? Well, let me see his rap sheet. Maybe on that rap sheet he's got, you know, 18 felony arrests and all kinds of things, spent years in jail. And so the judge is just trying to decide whether or not this is a good risk, makes a determination, listen, you know, we couldn't really trust him in the past, and so I don't know that we can trust him in the future to be back here. So I'm not going to give bail. Or if I do give bail, I'm going to have an excessive amount of money where if we have to go back and find him and drag him in, we're going to pay for it because we're going to keep his bail dollars. Conversely, I want you to think about God's record of faithfulness. We know it from here. We all know it from our Christian history, but we also know it from our own lives and the lives of others and believers that are around us and what God's done in our church here. You know, God has a rap sheet, too, of all the good things he's done. God has an incredible list of things he's done. We All we need to do is look at God's rap sheet for a second and realize God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. God was faithful yesterday. Why wouldn't he be faithful today and tomorrow? In the Lord's Prayer, we say, uh, thank you this day for our daily bread. How do we know that we're going to get daily bread tomorrow? Because God gave us bread yesterday. God delivered yesterday. He's going to deliver bread today and tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread. If God did this, why wouldn't we trust God for the future? You know, they built that memorial that day to God. And a memorial is different than a museum. There's all kinds of memorials around. There's all kinds of museums. I went to a museum down in Roanoke six months ago with some friends, and it was a transportation museum. I advocated if you're down there and got half a day, it's, it's worth going in. they got all kinds of vehicles in there. They're all in mint condition and airplanes and railroads. and So it was entertaining and interesting and walking through there for several hours, kind of seeing these things and reminiscing. I saw a, a, almost a mint condition Studebaker in there. First car I remember as a kid was a Studebaker. My dad drove it, and so I reflected on that and told my kids. But So it was very entertaining and very enthusiastic. But you know what? Seeing that museum did not change my life. It didn't give me anything to hold on to in the future. But when we build memorials to God, when we put up stones of remembrance, when we write things on our wall, when we write things in our daily log, when we have a journal we keep, we write these things down, you know what that does? It makes a difference for the future because we know that this is a memorial to God yesterday, but I know He's going to be there tomorrow for me. This is a memorial to God 10 years ago, but I know God's going to be there for me next year. Having a memorial and understanding what God does. God has done things in the past. Listen, don't miss this. God has done something in the past in our life as a down payment for what he's going to do tomorrow. He has done things in the past as a down payment for what he desires to do in your life and my life tomorrow. This is really personal for all of us here for a second. On August 8th, 2003, Several of you are here. We had our last little gathering at Beaverdam Elementary School where we'd been meeting for a number of years at a church. This church had been completed. We gathered there that morning at 
had a nice little continental breakfast, and we walked outside, lined up, and we walked two and a half miles from the old school to this brand new church and had our first service here. It was a very precious time. I, uh, I had misquoted the fact that the mileage I told our church was about a mile and a half and ended up being about two and a half miles, so everybody made it. We also had a couple hay wagons for people to ride on if they got tired or some of the folks that didn't feel like walking, they could ride the hay wagon here. Had a couple of trumpet players marching down the street and playing the trumpet. And, um, and uh, when the saints come marching home and all some neat songs there, so people singing and people having a great time and experiencing. The next week I got a little letter from the brand new pastor up here at Beaverdam Methodist. And uh, I hadn't even met her yet. She'd only been there a couple weeks. She said, I came into church early today and saw your church walking down the highway here. And uh, she said, I want to tell you, one of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen of people glorifying God and singing and marching to Zion, their new church, and realizing that there's something happening at that church. Since we made that march, almost 13 years ago now, actually 13 and a half years from now, before, We've seen God's breakthroughs over and over and over again. And I want you to know it's not by the pastor's will. It's not by your will. It's not even by our willpower. But it's by a higher power. God has broken through over and over and over again in this body of believers. I have seen men and women... Kneel in the presence of a holy God. I've seen men that have drank for generations and decades stop drinking because God convicted their heart. I've seen drug addicts in this church that have knelt before a holy God and given that to God and they've seen a breakthrough in their life and they're no longer drug dependent. I have seen husbands and wives kneel in their living rooms I've seen husbands say, I don't want to be the husband and the daddy that God made me to be, in tears. I've been in some of those living rooms and that's happened. I've seen that man just weep, this man's man, this man that I don't know that he ever cried before, weeping and wailing in his brokenness because God had just broken through to his heart and told him, listen, i got something so much better for you. I want you to be my man. I don't want you to be the world's man anymore. I want you to be my man. God's man. I've seen that man weep in his wife's lap, beg for forgiveness. Ask God, God, forgive me. Honey, forgive me. I'm sitting there with tears in my eyes and watching this man have this breakthrough with God. Have God come down and touch that man in such a way that it changed his life forever. And I look up for just a moment, and you know what's over here in the corner? There's two little kids peeking around the corner saying, what's going on with Daddy? Realizing that God was in the middle of the line. God did that. God's been faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful in the future. I want you to think about this. In 2008, we gathered our church together and 260 people went out for 10 nights in a row during the middle of summer on Wednesday nights to knock on doors for Jesus. Knock on doors for Jesus and ask people to come to church. We were received with open arms. I didn't hear about one person truly, truly being ugly to me. A couple of them said no thanks, but they were polite. But our folks went out and knocked on 9,274 homes for Jesus. That was a breakthrough. 
one in a million churches do that sort of thing at that size. God did it here in Beaverdam of all places. Because why? Because God wanted to break through to us and to our church here. You may be sitting there saying, you know, I'm kind of getting tired of the pastor saying that. You know, he says it about once or twice a year. You know, we hear it all the time. You know why your pastor says it? That's a memorial. That's a, uh, that's a heap of stones of remembrance in your life and my life. I love recounting what God has done before. Four weeks ago, we sent 15 people to Kenya. They paid for their trip. They raised the money. You prayed for them. Some of you supported some of them that couldn't afford it. They went to Kenya, and God broke through. God used those folks to touch people in Kenya half a world away. Why? Because he wanted to. God did. God wanted to give a breakthrough to those folks, to this church. We heard the stories last week, two weeks ago. God broke through. I particularly love the story about that man that was married to a woman that got saved sometime prior to the Kenya trip. And he met up with these guys, and he wanted to, He was looking. He was desperate. He realized, man, my wife has something I don't have, and I want it. So he was desperate to catch up with the Kenya folks that came from Beaverdam, of all places, because I want to tell you, my wife has something that I don't have, and I want it. Can you tell me how to have it? That's a breakthrough from God. God did that. Those people that were there got to see that. That was a breakthrough in their life. Listen, God's at work in this world. I don't have to just think he's at work in America or Beaverdam or Bumpus. I can realize that God's at work around the world, and I can be a part of it. I mentioned already, but I can't believe the, the faithfulness this morning. I do believe it. It's just overwhelming. Billy Clark having an accident, calling in and saying, he doesn't think he'd be here because he told his car. He was okay. He was up here playing. Brother Ken here, going through very difficult surgery. Yet God showed up in his life. He and I have chatted a couple of times. God is faithful. God is faithful. I want to bring this around to home. God is just as faithful today as when this church had 500 people sitting in it, okay? So I want to realize that, you know, where do I stand in all this? What do I need to do? Very simple. Just trust God because he's faithful. Be used of God. Be an empty vessel. Say, God, use me. How can I be used, God? I want to be used of you. I want to do something for you, God. It's trusting God for his faithfulness. You know, many of us are concerned about the election. It's a little confusing. Let me tell you this. I have a prediction I want to share with you about the election. I know exactly. I know exactly where we're going to be on November 9th, the day after the election. You want me to share that prediction? You heard it here first, okay? On November 9th, God will still be in control. God will still be in charge. God's throne will still be occupied. By who? By God. God will still manage the affairs of men and the affairs of this world. This is special. Never before has God and God's providence depended upon a king, a president, or a ruler. Never. God's providence is not dependent upon that. And it won't be on November 9th. Listen to Proverbs 21. It says this, The Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. He can direct it as he pleases. We have our part, but God has his part. Very appropriate right now for our part. If my people 
who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from him. He will forgive our sins and heal our land. God has called you and I out to believe. Do I really believe that God can change this nation? Yep. Where does he want to start? He wants to start with his people. My people who have been called by my name. God wants you and I to get serious about believing in him. Joshua shares three places where we need to make sure that we share our remembrance stones with. Place number one, with our kids. That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask in time to come, it's verse 6 out of chapter 4, saying, what do these stones mean? And then he goes on in verse chapter 4, verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Joshua is telling us right there, tell your kids. Make sure your kids know. You know the, the worst book in the Bible dealing with God's people? You ever wondered that or realized it? It's the book of Judges. It's a grand mess. It's a book of chaos. It's the worst book in the Bible dealing with God's people. We need to read it, kind of understand what's there. There was no kings in that day. Everyone did as he thought was right in his own mind. Sound familiar? Secular humanism. You know, the generation that came out of Jordan never passed it on. It says this, when all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which had been done. It says they forsook the Lord God, their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods. The generation that was there when they crossed the River Jordan had passed on, but they had not shared the breakthrough with their children. They had not told their children about God. They had not raised their children to worship God the way they need to. They too had faulted themselves. What's happening today? Possibly just a thought. Maybe we're not passing it on the way we need to. Maybe we're not building those stones, memorials. In conclusion, Deuteronomy 6.23. Moses said this. He says, God brought us out that he might bring us in. God brought us out, talking about Egypt, that he might bring us in. God brought us out of slavery. Jesus Christ brought us out of slavery that God might bring us in, into the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus, into the, in, into the essence of Je Jesus Christ's riches, the riches of Christ, that we'd have these things. God brought us out. God saved us through Jesus Christ that we might have this inheritance. The greatest tragedy today is to miss Jesus Christ. It really is. To live in a world that Jesus Christ is very well pronounced in America here today and miss it or reject it. When you meet Jesus Christ, you have two choices. Either accept him or reject him. It's that simple. Some people say, well, not today. That's rejecting him. That's not giving God the glory. Not walking where God wants us to walk. The greatest tragedy in the Christian life is to get to your end of your life and realize I never really passed over the Jordan River. I never entered into the riches of Christ. I never appropriated what Jesus Christ intended to give me in this lifetime. I was a Christian... There was a survey written about two weeks ago. I read it by a guy by the name of George Barnum. One statistic I want to tell you. He says 46% of Americans today are post-Christian. Well, what does that mean? He gives his definition. He said a post-Christian is somebody that says, I'm a Christian, I accepted Christ, but I don't go to church, I don't pray, and I don't read my Bible. A post-Christian. We're living kind of a post-Christian era right now. People don't think those things are important. They're not relevant in their life. Why? 
because they haven't put stones or memorials up to the fact that God did something in their life. Maybe they don't really like God. They're not sure. It's a coincidence. But you know, what we need to do is build those memorials that people can see. This is special. If God can take the cross, at the time of Jesus Christ's life, it was the most brutal, horrific, horrible symbol of death. There was no more ugly picture in the time of Jesus Christ's life than the cross. It was brutal. How God can take that most brutal of images and make it the most beautiful symbol in the world today. He can only do it with Jesus Christ. He changed a horrific, horrible, brutal symbol and made it a symbol of joy today. Many people wear the cross as jewelry today and make it out of precious metals and put diamonds on them and things like that. It's a beautiful symbol today for one reason and one reason only. Because of God's faithfulness. God loved us so much. Didn't, he could have very easily given up on us. You know, he, could have, he wasn't going to send another flood because he promised he wasn't. He could have sent fire instead, you know. But he said, no, I'm faithful. God keeps his covenants. I love my people even when they turn their back on me. So he gave us Jesus Christ instead. And he turned the most brutal symbol into the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. The cross that Jesus Christ died on. Jesus Christ obviously didn't stay in that grave though. He rose three days later. And that's why we can say very firmly today that there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ brings death back to life. No matter what you have in your life right now, that you may be waiting, waiting for a breakthrough, no matter what's going on in your life. God wants to show you life in the midst of all that. God wants to reflect life in your life. God wants you to realize that he's in control, that God has a plan for your life, that God is going to do something that's going to absolutely astound you, utterly beyond your wildest imagination. God wants to show up. God wants to show himself strong. It all comes down to the point, am I going to live in faithfulness? Am I going to walk in faithfulness to God?